Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 56. We lost our good friend. I'm going to bring her back. Uh, our newest advisor, Verinia Granum. How are you doing, my friend? Doing awesome. Thank you. Uh, give a little bit for for people who still don't know you. Maybe less missed last week's session. Give a give a little twenty second intro to who Verinia is. Sure. So I am a former advisor, um, assistant dean of the pre health advising office at Hofstra University. Sorry, Hofstra University in New York. I worked there for about eight years, so I have had quite a bit of experience with our pre health students. Uh, and now I'm happy to be here with Matt. Hanging out at MAPT, one of our advisor extraordinaires right next to Dr. Scott Wright, a man who cannot be introduced because he's just too phenomenal. Former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director at TMDSAS. So for every student who didn't get into a Texas medical school, it is your fault. Um, we'll, we'll give you a home address later on. You can send, <laughs> uh, send DMs. He likes them. Um, how are you doing, my friend? Doing well, doing well. How's, how's Ryan, Ryan Gray doing? Ryan Gray is doing amazing. This is my Great. favorite time of, of day. So yeah, I'll out with all of you. Yeah. And Rachel Grubbs, co-founder of MAPT. How are you? I'm excellent. Also this my is... friend. I don't want to leave that out. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Kidding. Yes. Friends and colleagues and students, I'm excited to be here. This is always my favorite part of the work week, too. I am excited. Um, so in Acidine or on Acidine, this is, if you're watching this later on or listening to this later on, this is a private weekly live stream that we do for our mapped members only group on Facebook. We put them out as a YouTube video and as a podcast later on because we feel that this information should be free. We just give the exclusive question asking rights to our mapped members. So if you want to be a mapped member, go to mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com and you can you too can be a member. Um, so go sign up over there. And then the first Monday of every month, typically next month is a little wonky because of the holiday, but the first Monday of every month, we are live on all of our channels for the public at large. So that's what I got. I'm excited. Uh, uh, Rachel, before we jump into some questions, we have uh, pre-PA that is really, really close to being released, probably in the next week or two. There'll be a couple features missing, uh, but for the most part, it'll be working just like the pre-med students work. So if you're a pre-med student watching this, if you're a MAPT member and you're a pre-med student and you have pre-PA friends or you yourself are a pre-PA student, you've just been using MAPT for fun, uh, you will soon be able to invite all of your friends who are pre-PA students as well as be able to switch to a pre-PA 
account right inside of your profile. So yeah. that'd be fun. Yeah, so that should be live um, potentially later this week, definitely by next week. And um, some of those features we mentioned that are coming soon, having Vrini on the team has really sped those up. She and I have been working hard on a lot of the pre-PA additional features. So lots of good stuff coming. Yep. I'm excited, excited, excited. All right. Let's, let's get some questions. All right. First one here. Would it look bad if I dropped to part-time for the fall of my senior year? I'm on the wait list for a class, and, and I don't know if I will get into it, which would put me at part-time. I've been full-time up until now and will be full-time in the spring. So one semester part-time sounds like a micro question in terms of how we talk about macro, micro. Scott, what do you think? Big picture, not a problem? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a, a real problem. If a question came up in an interview, the student could easily explain the, the situation. I think the big, the big thing is uh, that the student needs to check with their advisor at their institution, uh, make sure that, because that's going to affect uh, financial aid potentially. And uh, so they need to just, you know, cross all the dot all the eyes at their at their home institution to make sure that doesn't put them in jeopardy if they're on scholarship or if they're getting loans or whatever it could affect a, you know a variety of things but in terms of the picture of the admissions process to medical school I wouldn't I wouldn't deem it a real a big issue I think uh, it could easily be explained and in particular if they went back to full time in the in the fall in the uh, spring then uh, then that it, it'd be pretty clear it was just a scheduling issue so I wouldn't see it's a big big issue. Yeah. As, if I could, sorry. Ahead. If ahead. I could add also, um, I echo what um, Dr. Wright was saying, but I would also have the student just check with their advisor, make sure that their graduation is not going to be delayed as well. Um, you know, just want to make sure that that's all squared away. Definitely. And as what, what Scott said, um, in terms of being able to answer it in an interview, right? If it comes up, the, the answer to every question is most likely it's not going to be a problem and be prepared to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You can take that nugget and apply it to many, many things. Yep. <laughs> yes. That is, that is a life mantra to live by. <laughs> All right. I got a couple directly that I'm sharing here. So they look like they're for me, but really. Probably been asked before, but consider all things equal. How much a high MCAT 518 plus can save you from a very low GPA, less than three with an upward trend? The, the old sliding scale question <laughs> here, the, our favorite question. Uh, and, and typically what we come back to is, MCAT and GPA are completely separate pieces of the application that aren't tied together. Uh, and so you want as high of a GPA as possible and as high of an MCAT as possible, mm -hmm. right? Yep. They're, they're yep. not tied together. A school's not going to say, oh, with your GPA, you need a MCAT score this high. Or with that bad of a MCAT score, you're going to need a GPA of X, Y, or Z. Right. That's what yeah, the, we're looking for. The other thing I would say is based on the qu the question had an interesting phrase in it. That phrase was all things being equal. All things are never equal ever. And so if you, if you, 
if you start out the question with all things being equal, then you, the, the question is sort of a quonky question to start with because that's a that's not something that happens. And so everything is considered on a personal basis based on the the uh, in individual characteristics of the applicant, their history of work and, and activities and, and everything. So it's all a, it's all in a mix there that it's really important to consider that that all things are, are really not equal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a goulash is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a dish of food, right? Yeah, it's just like a mix of everything, right? Everything. That, that's kind of right. like the application. It's like, it's just a goulash of everything you've done. <laughs> not, like to be, not to be confused with a gulag. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. You lie on your application, you go to the gulag, that is right. Yeah. <laughs> Although it probably feels like a vlog when you're yes. filling it out. That's right. That's right. They're going to be like, why are they talking about Hungarian chili? <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. One more that looks like it's for me. My questions regarding to MAPT. I have multiple schools, although I am unsure on what I was classified year-wise for each one. Do I just put the year the course was taken. Also, my first school closed down. How would I put those courses in mapped? Okay. Rachel, you are the application uh, instruction manual expert. I know. I was just thinking I need to focus on. I'm being TV production assistant too. Yeah, so mapped questions, you guys are always welcome to ask here. You can also email info at mapped, I-N-F-O at M-A-P-P-D dot com. Um, so that, you know, if you don't want to wait until the next Monday, you can get an answer over email. We usually respond within a day. But so it looks like you've got a couple things. Multiple schools is is no big deal. MAP definitely allows for you to enter as many schools as you attended. In terms of classifying what year to what year, um, this is also in the AMCAS handbook, which I recommend everyone reading. When you've been to multiple schools, when you've transferred, when you've um, you know, maybe gone to multiple schools concurrently because maybe you're doing summer school or just, you know, cobbling together from different community colleges, then you ignore all transcript class standings and simply count by credit hours. And it's roughly 30 semester credit hours per semester. So basically zero to 30 is freshman, 30 to 60 or 65 is sophomore. Um, and then, you know, you, you know, you got another 30 for junior. And then after that, you're at senior. And that means that you might be at senior for a really long time if you did a lot of continuing ed or a lot of stops and starts. And that's incredibly normal. Um, so that's the way. And what I just described is the way it works in MAPT as well as AMCAS. So good tidbit for everyone. Um, and then for your school that closed down, we should be able to help you. Often those schools are still listed and mapped, but just email me again, info at map.com and we'll figure it out because it might be that your closed school is listed under the school that took it over. Yeah, there's uh, often schools that close down <clears throat> will have a, another institution that will take on as custodian of their records. And so, um, so it's not unusual that you would still be able to get a transcript from that school, but it's from another institution that, as I said, is the custodian of the records of the, of the defunct schools. So. Right. And we have both in mapped. We have some right. schools that I have noted as in the database for students to enter courses, even though they're closed. And then there are some that have been, like you can only find them under their new name, their new custodian. So yeah, for, for this question asker, you just need to reach out to us directly so we can help you with that specific case. But thanks for using Mapped. Yeah. All right, experiences question. 
How important is depth of experiences versus number of experiences? I only have seven to eight total experiences because most of my free time was spent working at my clinical job that I love. Would adding our would adding awards like Dean's List be helpful? So there's a couple of questions here, really, a couple mm-hmm. of issues. I am a real advocate for depth as opposed to breadth. I think that um, you know what the medical schools want to see is is where your passions lie. And if you are really in de- in, in involved deeply in an activity or an organization or whatever, then it really shows that you're passionate about that organization. I would prefer to see a few deep commitments than a lot of superficial commitments <clears throat> in, in terms of what they're doing and, and, and stuff. Now, especially in this case where they love their clinical job, uh, it's going to be clear that, you know, you're having to work and so you don't have a whole lot of activities and stuff like that. And I would say in terms of the, the dean's list, absolutely add it. Uh, you can also combine other awards such as that, like scholarships or things like that, in one category uh, as as awards or, or you know, stuff. So, so it wouldn't be unusual to be able to add those in on one category. All right. Let's see. With no career med experience and as a non-trad postback, is getting a job as a scribe or phlebotomist better for patient exposure? Six of one, half a dozen of another. Mm-hmm. All right. The, the, the answer I always give is, which one do you think you'll enjoy more? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or which job can you get? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Or, or which one pays more? <laughs> uh, so basically, there is not a right answer here, even though sometimes it's tempting to think there is. So you, question asker, may go with your own personal preference. As we all know, MCAT score is one of the criteria used for admissions into MD and DO schools. Yes, correct. <laughs> With the proposed USMLE Step 1, it's not proposed. Uh, it is It is done next year, 2022. Uh, so Step 1, going to pass-fail. Do you know if the MCAT score will ever be considered or used for residency or any other purpose after the MD or DO admissions? More than likely, no. Because yeah. as, as it is right now, Step 2 is still scored. Now, mm-hmm. we can debate why step two is still scored and step one is pass fail. It's a whole nother, whole nother podcast episode. But my, my gut tells me that uh, step two will now become the big focus for residency um, filtering and, and interview invites and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of precedent for pulling historical tests, right? Like the only instance we're aware of is that, uh, TMDSAS does ask for SAT and ECT, but Scott, you've said that that's more to show a trend of test taking yeah. than to use for actual admissions. Right, that's right. LeCom does have uh, the ability to use SAT, ACT, like in lieu of an MCAT. They, they, they have some sort of calculation out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not super familiar with it, so I won't talk too much about it, but I know they have a special... Um, ability to use your SAT or ACT. So we won't say no precedent, but we'll say extremely limited precedent in using prior entrance exam scores for mm-hmm. additional education. 
and and the truth is the MCAT is not a medical test. Step right. one and step two are medical tests. And, right. and so residency directors don't really care about how well you do on the MCAT. <laughs> they care yeah. if you know your medicine. Yeah. It's a good point. Hey, Ryan, you've got a new book. Aside from all the great advice in chapter nine of Dr. Gray's new book, how can I best approach secondary applications? What are the biggest? <laughs> Is my book not good enough? We just want more. <laughs> Whatever we give them, they will want more. <laughs> That's it. No more books. He's <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Uh, so biggest mistakes, don't pre-write. Right. right? Not yeah. pre-writing, I guess, for it's rather better said. Mm-hmm. Uh, Verini, what are your thoughts on secondary essays, mistakes? Um, just obviously, yeah, preparing and not pre you know, not pre-writing them, but um, sometimes students get so caught up in presenting their best selves that they really lose track of you know, why am I doing this? What we always talk about. What are my, you know, reasons for doing all of this? So just always keeping that in the forefront, not losing sight of that. Mm-hmm. Whatever the question is, that that's the driving, um, I don't want to say theme, but that's what should drive everything you're responding to is why am I pursuing this path? Yep. Uh, RTFQ. Read the question. Read question. Right? Yeah. Typically, my biggest feedback on secondary essays is you didn't answer the question. You didn't answer the question. You didn't answer the question. Right. And then, Scott, I know you've mentioned this once or twice. It's an obvious, but we'll say it anyway. If you're copying and pasting, change the school name. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I was going to bring that up too, just proofreading. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I, I, I had one. Uh, recently where a student, and I'm trying to describe this well, he was writing about a school and he said, I think, but the question was, why do you think you'd be a good fit for our school? And the student said, I think I would be a good fit because their curriculum is really aligned with what I want to do and their location is, and I, I thought it was odd that he kept using the the the, the word there as opposed to your yeah your curriculum is aligned with what I, and and I thought keep in mind that somebody at that institution is reading so you have to personalize it for them as well you have to say you know I, I recognize that you're reading it you're there I'm going to fit with you guys because of X Y and Z. So that's a little thing. That's definitely a micro thing, but it, it was a it was a big you know switch in my head that um, that you know you ha- you have to keep in mind who the reader is. What where is the reader located? What what is their job in terms of reading this essay and uh, personalize it for them so that they can connect with what you're saying. Yes. All right. So our our double negatives got people confused. So somebody says. Not pre-writing was a joke, right? What we were saying is a mistake to avoid is not pre-writing them, meaning please pre-write your secondaries. Yes. Uh, Pre-write or regret. (laughs) Pre-write or stress, yes. Yeah. Okay, moving on. 
If different admissions directors have told me to not worry too much about MCAT GPA due to the rest of my application, is it dangerous to give that too much weight? Is that, quote, too good to be true? I begin studying for the MCAT, so I'm wondering if this is actually something to take some weight off my shoulders. Oh, do as well as you can. Don't Yes, <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> no, no, don't kill yourself, but you still want to crush it. Mm-hmm. it. That's such a weird, like, subjective question because maybe you seemed like shoulders up past your earlobe stressed. And they were just trying to get you to a normal, healthy amount of stress. Um, <laughs> like, we're never going to pretend stats don't matter. We just don't think stats are the whole story. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great that these admissions directors have told you the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's awesome. And they're still very important. And you should still try to get as high as you can get. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> uh, qu- quick story time. I once, when I was back in test prep, worked with a student who had 11 days before her MCAT and just really felt like that was more than enough time to start her prep. And like, it didn't matter, you know, that I had 10 plus years of experience telling her that was a bad idea. And it didn't matter that the average MCAT student reports 300 to 400 hours. She was just like, I feel like I can do it in 11 days. Um, She did come back to me later that summer because she was incorrect. (laughs) 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 So like there was a piece of me that was like, I'm kind of impressed with like your confidence, but like, I don't know, you'd be very rare. (laughs) Confidence, confidence high on the meter, judgment low on the meter. (laughs) I mean, every once in a while, someone who's like, I'm not worried about the MCAT is really just like, a killer test taker and they take their baseline diagnostic and they get north of a 515 and you're like, oh yeah, I see why you're not that worried. But most people, you know, it's a curve, right? Most people don't test like that. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah. Uh, all, all I all I pictured when you tell, told that story was, was Jerry Springer sitting there going, <laughs> the results are in. <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Jerry. <laughs> Now, just for those in our audience who have no clue who Jerry Springer is. <laughs> oh, they know. They know. They know. From, from the memes, they know. They may not remember him as the mayor of my hometown <laughs> before he became a weirdo talk show host. Yeah. You know, I actually I actually heard a podcast from Jerry Springer one time. He's actually a pretty, pretty uh, intelligent, you know, uh, intelligent kind of guy. So. Oh, yeah. He sounds surprised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he made a choice. Yeah. All right. Let, let's stay focused on pre-med. But yeah, you can talk offline about Jerry all you want. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> um, <laughs> love Steve. What should I do if I projected out my an experience on my app, but I stopped the experience after submitting? So this is a very, very common question, whether something falls through or plans change. You don't do anything. It's just... Yeah. Schools expect things are going to change, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, that is unless I have one caveat to that, unless it's a course, unless it's related to academics. Mm. So if it's a course that you said in your application that you're going to take and you, you don't end up taking it, you do need to update at least, you know, especially the Texas schools are going to expect that. And I would say it's a good it's a good thing to update on, on other things as well. The other caveat to that would be, for example, if you if you had planned on getting your degree and then you, you end up 
not being able to get the degree, then that's something you need to let them know because there are, there are quite a few medical schools out there that if you don't follow through with what you said you were going to do, then that could be a, a major problem, particularly when it comes to academics. Yeah. Um, yeah. The fine print on this is read carefully that statement when you're certifying your application that right. says what you can and can't change. Cause it varies a little app to app. Um, we were just looking at liaison, which is the pre-PA and um, the pre-ACOMAS, like pre-Medicomas schools, and they won't let you edit existing, but you can add new. So, like, if you got a scribe job after you submitted, you could add that new experience as an example. Um, but, I mean, you guys chime in because I think you know this even better than I do, but my understanding is that's part of why weight is put on hours already earned up to the mm-hmm, time. Correct. Because everything else is a question mark. Like, life happens. Yeah. Yep. All right. I went to a rural high school growing up that was adjacent to a technical college. We were able to take classes at the technical college while in high school for free and for high school credit. Do I need to report these courses and submit transcripts? Yep. Yep, yep. That's known as dual uh dual degree, right? Dual credit, dual, dual credit. credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, dual enrollment. Dual, yep. dual enro- that's their name, dual enrollment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not dual degree, dual, dual enrollment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> if, if, it, if it's a post-secondary institution and it produces a transcript, then yes, you absolutely have to do it. Yep. All right, that's a good one. That's a common question. Mm-hmm. It is. All right. How do we classify Pipeline programs, SMDEP, med prep on AMCAS activity section. Extracurricular? Yeah. Probably? Yeah, I would say that's true. Those are big mishmash programs. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, ooh. Ooh. MCAT burnout. How ooh. do you deal with MCAT Burnout feeling like you aren't studying enough every single day. Mm. Rachel? Yeah, I'll take this. I heard Vernia ooh, so she may have something to say too. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, burnout is real. Um, first of all, I think you do need to um, allow yourself some breaks. So um, I typically tell people if you're prepping for the MCAT full time, that should still be five or six days a week. There should be one whole day where you are allowed to be a hundred percent MCAT free. Um, and then if you're thinking about enough, I guess the question I want to ask you to sort of rethink to yourself is what does enough mean? Because enough might mean I study for five hours, but I still can't wrap my brain around this concept and I'm upset about it. Cause I don't like to finish the day with a concept like not mastered or enough might mean, and I, I'm projecting a little because I have this. I'm really overwhelmed and I spend the first hour of my five hours sort of just stressing out and like organizing notes and kind of getting ready to work, but not really working. (laughs) And then I feel guilty about it. I mean, that could just be me. Maybe you don't have that. (laughs) But I think when people have burnout, I think that's often what's going on is that they're having trouble piecing apart the getting ready to work from the actual work thing. Um, And I don't think there's one solution, but if you haven't tried it already, I would definitely um, suggest the Pomodoro technique, um, especially when I'm feeling overwhelmed. 
Um, you might do many, many 25-minute segments in a row, but you do 25, and then you get a five-minute stretch break, and then you do 25, and you might do four or five of those before you take, like, a bigger break. But I find that that's, a, like, something that seems overwhelming for two or three hours seems totally manageable for 25 minutes. So I, I strongly recommend trying that. If I mean, again, there's a million techniques out there, but that's one that I find when I'm stuck helps me unstick. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a big issue related to mental health when you're when you're studying for the MCAT as well. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, burnout can can be a significant issue. And I think you really have to take care of yourself mentally, break study breaks and stuff like that as a, uh, um, a, a time a day off from studying completely. Uh, you know, just the variety of things. And, and this is crucial when it gets closer, the closer you get to the MCAT uh, actual test date as well. So uh, mental health care is really important in, in this process. Brittany? Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> Weird, so was I. Brittany, I thought you had something to add here. <laughs> I, I um, muted both of you because someone was echoing. That's probably oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was basically going to say the same thing. Um, sometimes you go, you have days where you're just reading something over and over again, and you're just not retaining it, uh, or you know, you just you know, you had a rough start to your day, and it's just not going to work. It's okay to step away an hour or two hours, and then try to come back to it again if you need to. Um, but what uh, Scott was saying too about, you know, this tying into mental health and, and doing any kind of activities that's going to help you kind of talk yourself off the ledge um, and then trying it again later is, is definitely, you know, it's okay to do that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I literally was just looking at a, an Instagram post from, from a popular test prep company that, that basically was like, study when other people are sleeping and i'm like um no sleep is important <laughs> like sleep <laughs> sleeping and eating are very important don't yeah. miss those two things yes uh something i often tell students that they, they students when it comes to the mcat they they often will just put everything else aside including writing personal statements writing extracurricular descriptions writing their secondary essays things that they're putting off which are important to do in a timely manner, they're putting it off so that they can focus on the MCAT. And then they'll spend 100% of their time on the MCAT and it's inefficient time because they're getting burnt out because they're studying for the MCAT too much. And so I try my hardest to convince students to take a break from the MCAT and go work on your essays. And working on your essays isn't a distraction for the MCAT. It's refreshing, gives your mind a break from the the kind of processing power that you need to do well in the MCAT, allowing you to sit back and reflect for uh, essay answers. And then when you go back to the MCAT an hour or two hours later, whatever break you're taking, you're more refreshed and you'll be more efficient. You'll get more done. Mm-hmm. And you're moving your application along too, which is important. Yep. Agreed. Yep. Um. Yeah, it's good to study like that too. To you know, I mm-hmm. think sometimes people want to do all their Gen Chem and then all their OCHEM and then all their bio, but the test is all jumbled. So the more you can duck in and out of your prep, the more you're sort of teaching your brain to mix all that stuff together. Mm-hmm. It's, good, it's good skill to build. Exactly. It's like it's like practicing golf. 
right? You don't go out and just hit all drivers and then all wedges and then all short irons, whatever, long irons. You, you need to mix it up because that's how you play golf. Yep. I uh, play golf by breaking, breaking the clubs, breaking the clubs in that, half. That form. Yeah, that's a form of golf. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, look at this question. Can you tell us more about meditation and coping mechanisms like yoga through the MCATs, admissions process, et cetera? My heart was pounding when I hit submit for a comus. So I love this question. <laughs> um, I think it has limited popularity. So for the sake of the audience, that is like, no thanks. We already said mental health matters a lot. Um, I actually teach yoga and am adding meditation to the mix. Um, so you can certainly check out my, um, like my Instagram if you want more, but I do think that any kind of physical exercise, I mean, it's proven, right? That physical exercise will release chemicals in your body that make you feel better. And particularly with yoga, what's useful about that is it teaches you to focus on your breath. And I think, um, Logan Noon and I were talking about this a little bit at national pre-med day. Um, your mood impacts your breath, but your breath impacts your mood. So if you learn to manipulate your breath to calm yourself, that's like having a superpower in your pocket all the time, right? Anywhere you go, anytime you're feeling excited and you're sort of hard, it's hard to tell, am I excited or am I anxious? Am I nervous or am I happy? Like it's probably a little bit of both when you're hitting submit on a comus. <laughs> um, you know, then you've got your breath there. And if you can work on, um, balancing your breath or slowing your breath or making your breath deeper rather than shallow. Cause shallow is usually like when we're being chased by the tiger, right? So if you can teach yourself to do those things and there are lots of great teachers out there, it doesn't have to be me, lots and lots of free resources or low cost resources for learning to be, you know, mindfully breathe, then it's a way to help yourself calm in any moment, you know, whether that's applications or MCAT or in the interview um, breathing's a really powerful way to hack your own nervous system. I'm all for it. Yes. All right. I recently talked with a doctor friend about applying to MD or DO schools. I've been favoring DO school due to my exposure to my local DO school and DO physicians in my community. He strongly urged me to just apply MD to due to the match being the same and bias towards DO negative bias towards the all ad. Should I take that with a grain of salt? I'm, I plan on applying through both application services, but more of my school research has been towards DO schools. Yes. Take it with a grain of salt. So my guess is that the the uh, opinion giver is an MD, and uh, yeah, and uh, he has a bias. He or she has a bias that you need to acknowledge, and uh, that you need to uh, you know take that into careful consideration. I also th agree exactly with what you said, Ryan. Uh, take it with a grain of salt. Um, my experience has been over the years that many, many, many students have been really totally screwed up by uh, practicing physicians who don't have a clue what they're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Um, good, good rule of thumb for everyone is just because someone is a doctor doesn't mean they know about medical school admissions and what is best for your future. Correct. 
Not even me. I know everything. <laughs> or even where the student's interests lie. If you're more aligned with the DL philosophy, then that's your what you're passionate about. That's what you should pursue. Absolutely. Time. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't want to make assumptions about this person, but I find that DO schools have evolved so much in recent years that sometimes if we're talking to people who are, you know, parent age, they're giving you data that was their best information, maybe when they applied to med school in 1979. Yeah, I'm like, right. it's just a whole, it's a whole different ballgame. Like, yeah. even if you applied to med school 10 years ago, I'm not saying these people can't be valuable mentors. They can be amazing mentors. I'm posing that maybe they're not admissions experts, right? right? Like, that's a different thing. Right. Yeah. As Aladdin says, it's a whole new world. <laughs> A whole new no, world. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. You do an Ask the Dean and just sing Disney. Ask the Dean. The musical. Yes. I'll tell you all about Jerry Springer. Yeah. We'll do some yoga. <laughs> Pre-med for me, med. Anyway, for any of you who liked Aladdin, Wish Dragon on Netflix is really good. Um, is selecting no on the ACOMAS advisor release statement for schools previously attended a red flag for ADCOMS. The advisor wants me to take the MCAT earlier than August 7th before I can be reviewed for the committee letter. It seems like there's two different statements there. So one's a question and one's a statement. Um, So no, it's not a red flag, right? It's That's just ACOMAS allowing your advisor to see yes. what students have applied who are under their tutelage and their status. Yeah. And their status so that they can report back and go, look at me. I'm amazing. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. It's not a red flag. It's not a red flag. I don't even know if admissions offices even look at that. Yeah. Uh, and then, so yeah, how does that connect to the parenthetical statement? I don't think I, it does. Well, I think this particular institution's committee process requires that students have an MCAT score before they're reviewed. And, you know, oh. I, don't, I don't really like that because it's unfair to the student, right? If you're not ready to take the MCAT yeah. here's, before here's, that date. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, my, here's my statement for, for you, Verenia, is what does your MCAT score have to do with the committee going, this is a really cool student who's going to be a great doctor? In my experience, absolutely nothing. Nothing. It has nothing but to do. That's just correct. my experience. Yeah. Yes, correct. That's but correct. But there are some pre-health committees out there, pre-med yep. committees, who will use your MCAT score to rank you among other students. And unfortunately, med schools use that ranking as part of their mm-hmm. shortcut process in evaluating you. Correct. And, and I completely disagree with it <laughs> had, had a lovely conversation with uh, with a director of admissions recently uh, about it and uh, it was fun it's, a, it's an argument i want to continue to fight okay. <laughs> no, i'm not i'm not opinionated about it would submitting your app at the end of june and taking the mcat in july be too late <sighs> I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that, you know, optimally you would, you know, have the, have the MCAT before, before then, but you have to wait until you're ready and, and you have to do it according to your timeline. And too late means uh, after the deadline, but, 
you know, I do think that early as possible, but, you know, getting your, getting your application submitted and processed and, and verified and all that stuff is important. And then all the medical schools are doing is waiting for your impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And integrating what we've been saying, right. Hopefully you're doing both and not going to try to cram the MCAT in after you have your app done. Right. Hopefully you're already prepping the MCAT. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of MCAT test date questions today. Everyone's got their own little micro lens they want I, to offer. I am, I'm like so overdue on writing a, a, like a comprehensive guide on, on, MCAT test dates and submission test dates and really highlighting the whole process. What that yeah. looks like. But anyway, my current MCAT score is a 506 and I would like to improve. Is it too late to attempt another MCAT test on August 21st for the current cycle? So, so I, I think it depends a little bit on, there's several issues here. One is, um, if you already submitted your application and you did not indicate that you were retaking the MCAT, then the schools are not going to wait for another MCAT because they don't know that one's coming. Uh, so, you know, in that case, you're going to be considered using the 506. And then if another MCAT score comes in, they'll, you know, most schools will re-review you depending on the new MCAT score in terms of the mix of your application and stuff. So um, I don't think it's too late. I just think it may, it, you know, it, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I would say go for it. And if it, if it doesn't, you know, pan out in terms of increasing the MCAT score, then, then it doesn't. But uh, I would say as long as you get your application in with the 506 and give, give the schools a chance to review you based on that score, then, uh, then that's the important part. And then if a new score comes in, they'll re- reevaluate you. How did that work in, in terms of TMDSAS? Because TMDSAS isn't tied to the AAMC system for where right. they're registering for and taking the test. Right. D- does a student have to go back into their TMDSAS application to mark that they're taking a test? Or like, we, well, like? we, we would encourage them to do that mm-hmm. according to the according to the the statement that you sign at the end of the, when, when you're submitting your application uh, you're supposed to update the update the service depending on any anything that changes such as a new MCAT date coming in uh, and uh, so <clears throat> we're going to depend on the student uh, to notify the uh, uh, TMDSAS and therefore thereby notifying the schools that they're retaking the MCAT or, or whatever now having said that there's not going to be any big, you know, issue if you, if a new MCAT score comes in and that you didn't notify us that another one was coming in, as I said, the schools are just going to reevaluate you based on that new MCAT, that new information that they've gotten. So, um, yeah. Yep, yep. If offered to choose virtual over an in-person interview, which would you choose? So we talked a little bit about this on the inside. No, we didn't do inside med admissions. Well, on the COVID inside med admission, mm-hmm. I think this came up of like students are going to assume that students who go in person are going to get the benefit of the doubt or be perceived more favorably than those who choose virtual. And and really, I believe it was on that that inside med admissions episode where the the admissions uh, officers, the, the deans and directors of admissions, were like, it's it's really our job to to tell students we're not going to 
bias our decision whether or not you came in person or uh, or did virtual because there there are a million reasons why someone would want to choose one over the other, and we we can't judge. and And I think moving forward, my assumption is that there's going to be a lot of um, virtual and in person interviews mm-hmm. for for the future, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And medical schools are going to have to make sure that their their evaluation process doesn't give any bonus points to people coming in person. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the things that should be considered here too is, is that you're, you're Ryan, you're talking about from the perspective of the school. Yep. I think from the perspective of the student, I think you need to consider several things. One is cost. Yep. Uh, do you have the money to fly wherever and stay overnight and, you know, all the expenses related to traveling to the institution or, um, it, how do you think you'll perform? Do you, do you think you'll perform better in person or virtually or, you know, w- whatever. And so I think you have to consider it from both angles, both, you know, that I agree with you completely in terms of the angle of the institution that says they're going to work diligently to eliminate bias related to whichever, uh, the students do, but from your standing, I think you need to do what you think would be best for you. If you want to look at the school and you, you, maybe you've never been there and you want to see see it physically and feel it, uh, then do that. Yeah, if you've got the money to do that, so I'm touching, I'm touching you, school. I feel yes, you. yes, <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think virtual interviews are such a wonderful um, leveler. Yeah. Right. Like it just seems to me such an insane hardship to have to pay for all that travel. Yes. Um, So, uh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's keep going. I am in a BS MD pathway and I don't have to take the MCAT, but we do need to go for an interview in the fall of my junior year. My question is when we go for the medical school interview, am I considered as out of state as I am? out of state for my undergraduate school or does residency status matter as it is a BSMD eight-year program? If you're in the program, aren't you already basically accepted other than the interview process? That's, I'm confused. Yeah, I didn't really understand this question either. Um, unless the medical school's in a different state. Yeah, I know there's like common. one pathway that's like a U dealt to, um, one of the Philadelphia schools. So it does mm. change states. Mm. Um, sounds like it's a question for your program. Agreed. Like, I mean, just because it's so specific. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Typically I would say if you're just going to school there, you don't count as a resident in the state where you're going to school, right? You usually count in a state as a, as a resident where, where you live or where you file taxes or where your parents file taxes and claim use a dependent, but you've got such a specific question there. I think you want to check with your own program and just see what they say. Yeah. Agreed. My, my follow-up question to that is what does that have to do with the interview process? That, that yeah. Seems to be a weird connection there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. How feel free to chime in again. If you want to clarify what you needed. Um, let's see. So a couple people asking about diversity questions. I know this came up last week, but it's a yes. hot topic right now. Give me, give me 30 seconds. I had okay. an amazing um, diversity essay response. In okay. So while Ryan's looking for that, I will share this. Somebody says the Blueprint MCAT podcast for full length number one is great. 
thank you for those. I wasn't sure if I was reviewing my practice exams properly. So yeah, anyone studying MCAT prep, a great free resource is the MCAT podcast, which is Brian and a Blueprint MCAT team member. Yes, I love doing those. I did I did five or six of those today. Um, some really, really good ones today. We're doing psych -soch. All right, so as I am scrolling and looking, good, 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 amazing. Here we go. So, again, this is what I think is amazing. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Scott and Vernia, what you think. Um, but this is basically a diversity question as I'm pulling it up here. All right, so the, the prompt is from Virginia. How will you contribute to the diversity of your medical school class and the University of Virginia School of Medicine? So I'm going to read it just for our podcast listeners, but you guys can also read. I am passionate about- You don't about, have the screen share on? I shows on mine. Oh. Well, you're the producer. I, I wanted to make sure you actually wanted to share it before I gave away someone's personal contact info. No, 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 no. I, I, it's all anonymous. Um, okay, friends, zoom in. <laughs> yes. Uh, it says, I am passionate about gardening. My interest began in high school when I started growing sweet potatoes in my backyard. I loved being able to plant something new and watch it flourish over time. Around the same time, I found a passion for cooking. My grandma eventually bought me a cookbook, and I spent my weekends in her kitchen learning to recreate her traditional dishes. Today, I use cooking to elicit joy in others the same way that my grandma used cooking to communicate her love. There's nothing more rewarding than experimenting with a new recipe and watching my dish bring joy to my family. To be transparent, I am not a great gardener or a great cook. However, I love these activities and I am most happy in the garden surrounded by my plants and in the kitchen surrounded by my loved ones. In college, I started volunteering at a community garden. Until then, I had not realized the privileges associated with my hobby. I was fortunate to grow up with a yard to plant seeds and a kitchen to cook my crops. However, as I came to understand, many individuals do not have these opportunities. Growing food at the garden in college continued to bring me joy. However, what was more satisfying was knowing that the food was going to individuals who do not have the resources to grow their own. At the University of Virginia, I would love to create a medical campus garden. I envision the garden having several purposes. First, the garden would provide nutritious food to underserved communities in the area. The garden could also serve as an outlet for medical students to de-stress after class and engage with other individuals in the community. Finally, I would love to use food from the garden to educate adolescents about healthy eating habits and provide culinary instruction to residents of Charlottesville. No matter what path I end up taking, I am excited to use my passions to promote health and well-being in the communities that I serve. Scott, you're muted there. I'm going to mute you. What do you think, that, Scott? I said that was awesome. I love the response. I love it that it was different, that it was not staged or, uh, you, know, you know, as I said before, bullshitting around. Yeah. Uh, it's straight on. It's This is what I love to do, and this is how yeah. I'm going to use it. Uh, in the context of my medical education, uh, I, I love that. It felt yeah. very authentic, yeah. Mm -hmm. Authentic. And watching it you know, organically, like, you know, yes. but it organically led you through this path and, you know, how this person 
you know, could tie in gardening to what they want to do. Um, yeah, it was excellent. Yeah. Wasn't forced. Uh, right. Wasn't a sales pitch of like gardening has made me dedicated and gives me t- uh, organizational skills, right? It's just like, <laughs> these are my passions and this is what I want to share with people. And that to me is the heart of a diversity answer. Again, so many students out there who don't consider themselves diverse based on skin color or ethnicity or socioeconomic status struggle with this question because they're like, well, what do I talk about? And that I, I saw this on Thursday night doing Application Academy, and I was like, this is the best diversity essay I've ever read. Mm-hmm. So it's a great question uh, right after that session. So, yeah. So for anyone listening this week, we got into diversity a little bit last week and sort of talked about it generally. So I think the kind of conversation there, plus this very excellent specific example, hopefully will give you guys a little bit of what you're looking for. Uh, it's seven minutes to the hour. I don't know. We have time for one more. Sure. Do that. I want to see that bottom one too. Okay. Uh, Is it appropriate to send thank you cards to schools you're interviewed at? Sure. Yeah. If you read my interview book, I, I say that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of schools get frustrated because they're like, we don't know what to do with these. And it's like, eh, whatever. So I, I like to err on the side of sending them. I had the opportunity to do a TEDx talk during senior year of high school, and this was an especially meaningful experience for me. Should, and I'll, I'll replace that should with a can as well, I include it on my application even though it was during high school. The dreaded high school experience. I mean, I I would say this is something that you could include potentially in your personal statement or in a secondary application thing. I don't think I would include it in the list of activities. Um, I, I think... You know, you could, and, you know, maybe schools will discount it because it was in high school or whatever. But, uh, you know, if this was incredibly meaningful uh, to you, then I think you need to include it somewhere uh, in your application. Uh, but I'm not sure the list of activities is the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Always the general rule of thumb is post high school is that list of activities. Mm-hmm. Now, right. if you include it, will that? automatically kick you out of medical school no like no but they they may scratch their head and go who was who was telling you what to do here because you're not following the rules or the opposite may happen go wow that's really awesome i'm glad you included it yeah yeah you never know i mean once it's on the application it's fair game yeah well it's interesting too because uh like you were saying scott this might naturally surface in another essay because if it was meaningful enough to you to do a TEDx talk about it, I'd guess that there's some part of your life that's still involved in whatever you talked about. Right, right. So there might be, you know, a bigger way to connect it. Yeah. Let's grab that last one. They, they redid it to get. Yeah. Thank characters. you. They had written more than 400 and they, they got it condensed for us. Yes. I'm a non-trad who left undergrad with a 2.3 cumulative GPA 10 years ago. I'm in my second semester at community college with a 4.0. Cumulative now is 3.2, science 3.4. Awesome. And I have about four semesters left until I graduate. I want to apply to local competitive programs, NYU, Columbia, Cornell. (laughs) Am I better off applying after I graduate with more credit hours at a four-year school? I have 10,000 plus clinical hours, 350 volunteer hours. No shadowing yet. 
So, I mean, it sounds like they're on the right track. They're only in their second semester. Right. But it, it doesn't sound like they, they can't be at a community college because if they're going to graduate with four semesters. Well, some community know. colleges. What, Wait. What's your, what's your premise there? Well, community college, like the definition that most people go off of is you don't get a four-year degree at a community college. Well, but she said, am I, am I better off applying after I graduate with more credit hours at a four-year school? So yeah. apparently she's going to transfer. Like she's gonna, well, to me, it makes it seem like she's going to graduate at, from her community college after four semesters. Anyway, it doesn't matter. She's got four semesters left. Go get a 4.0 those last semesters, and then that'll be six and semesters at a 4.0. Yeah. And then apply. And then apply. I think a gap year is warranted here. Yeah. Right, because those higher numbers she's citing, it sound like, are just from the reboot of her work. Right? So if you haven't already, she Ellen. says, I'm transferring to a four-year college yeah. after one more semester in community Perfect. college. Yeah. So if you haven't already, question asker, be sure you go into MAPT and do your fuel QM. So you're not just saying about the 2.3 QM GPA from 10 years ago, but what what the services are going to look like look at is your whole history and yeah. then your upper trend. So yeah. don't be bummed if, you're, if your 15-year QM is not what you want it to be because the upper trend will play a role, but you should be aware of that number. And then what we're saying is get yourself as much upper trend as possible in two semesters. That's that's amazing that you're doing that, but like you want more time. It it doesn't sound like she had a lot of credits early on because having two semesters with a 4.0 mm -hmm. agreed. And her 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 stats are already bumped up to a 3.2, yeah. 3.4. Mathematically it'd have to be, you know, a low really number sure. of credits. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, good point. If those are current cumes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm reading those as current, and her two semesters are a 4.0. Mm -hmm. Her current two new ones. Anyway, mm -hmm. okay. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're on the right Great track. Job. We're excited yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, four semesters of W's. That's okay. Okay, that was in the past. Tell yeah. us about you now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? You are gonna get there. Keep on trucking. That's what we want to say to you. I love it. <laughs> uh, All right, friends. All right, that is it. Another Ask the Dean in the books with my friends, Dr. Scott Wrights, Vernia Granham, and Rachel Grubbs signing out for another week. We'll be back here for another private mapped session June 28th. Um, and another private one on July 5th and our public session. So you can tell all your friends about it will be July 12th. Cool. So, yeah. All right. See you, friends. Bye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.